Okay, we have been going through a series on the apostolic marks of the true church. And this week we're going to be on the second mark. And so last week we talked about the mark of the word. And this week we're going to look at the mark of fellowship. A number of, and a number of years ago when our church was going through some changes... One of the things that took place was that our the leadership chose to change the name of the church to Grace Fellowship. And so in that, it's very clear that we wanted to be known as a church uh, of fellowship. We wanted to be marked by that very word and marked by that very thing. What I want to do today is to certainly look at that, but also go beyond that to look at how fellowship is actually a mark of the apostolic church. It's one of those vital, central things that the church was known by, known for, identified by. And so if you will turn to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 42 through 47. If you would make your way there, I will open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the glory of the gospel that you have chosen to reveal to us. That you have allowed your people, our church, to have access to that great mystery. That we can know Christ and Him crucified. And how His crucifixion made it possible for us to exchange with Him our sin for His righteousness. Lord, we thank You that we were able to confess that together today. That we were able to sing about that together today and celebrate that as a body. That we're united in that belief and that understanding and that we're united in our praise to You for that and our thanksgiving. So, Father, as we approach Your Word and see the example that you've given us in the church that's, that's here in the canon of Scripture that, um, will, that has survived throughout time for us to be able to recognize what your church looks like. Father, I pray that Lord, we would see that we are, through faith and repentance, through a knowledge of Christ and in a relationship with Him, we are united to that apostolic church that we have become one with them. So, Father, I pray that Your Spirit would work in us, that according to Your Word, we would pursue fellowship with You, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. And as we will see today, which is so important, that we will pursue fellowship with one another. I ask for Your grace now. We pray all this in the strong, gracious name of Christ. Amen. Please follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And just some context, this is just following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church known as Pentecost and then um, following Peter's sermon to those that were gathered there. So verse 42 begins with, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, 
And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Now as we read these verses, 42 through 47, well, we're, we're, giving a, we're given a picture of what those, that initial gathering, the initial gatherings, I'd say, looked like. What are some of the things that they did? How did they function? But at the center of that, if, at the center of all that's happening in that passage It is to be clear to us that they were together, that they were gathering together, that they had all things in common, and they were sharing in fellowship together. So as we walk through some of these things, I want us to see that the mark of true Christian fellowship is a clear mark of the gospel. The mark of true Christian fellowship is a clear mark of the gospel. And perhaps in its truest form, Fellowship in its truest form, it may be one of the clearest, if not the clearest mark of the gospel that we have. And we will get to that and break that down in a bit. So at this point, because of that statement that it's a clear mark of the gospel, it should immediately tell us something. And it should let us know that because it's such a clear mark, then it's going to be hard to do. And it's, well, maybe... Better said, it's going to be impossible to do in its truest form without the work of Christ. And so we need to see that we speak of fellowship very casually. We probably don't even look at it as something that's challenging or difficult or uh, beyond our ability. And yet, because it's a clear mark of the gospel, that needs to tell us that this is an impossible thing in its truest form without the work of Christ, the power of the Spirit. And so the first thing I want, to see, want us to see is that Christian fellowship is, in fact, an apostolic mark. And so that should bring up the question, or I'll bring up the question, why should this be a mark of the true church? Because there are a lot of people who have fellowship together. There are a lot of groups who have fellowship. And you may even be thinking, or you may have an... Um, have experience of groups outside of the Christian faith that fellowship together and it, and it even seems like better fellowship than the Christian community. And so if that's true, if we see fellowship happening all over the place, even outside of the church, then why should that be a mark of the true apostolic church? And to answer that, I want us to think about where Christian fellowship originates. Where do we see Christian fellowship originating? John Stott, who was an Anglican priest in London and perhaps one of the most influential pastors of the last generation, he said this in his work on the sovereign God and the church. He said, The word fellowship was born on the day of Pentecost. John Stott says, the word, said the word fellowship was born on the day of Pentecost. Now, what he's not, he's not saying... Of course, we know this. He's not saying that people never gathered together before Pentecost, before Acts chapter 2. 
He's not saying that people never shared meals together or hung out together or spent time together in each other's homes or in gatherings before Pentecost. But the reason he said what he said was because fellowship in its truest sense begins with God himself uniting with his people by and through the fellowship of the Spirit, which is what took place in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit was poured out and descended upon the church. This new work of God, this new event that took place that was prophesied years and years before allowed the people of God to unite to the other people gathered there around them in such a supernatural and outstanding way that they began to speak the gospel and people in that spoke other languages and that did not speak their language began to hear the gospel. And so what we see at Pentecost is a union of God with His people by the power of the Holy Spirit that ended up uniting all the people that were there listening even though they didn't share the same language. And so it was a union of God's people and a union of people that God was bringing into the church. But this union or this connection with others began first by fellowship with God. And so why is this an apostolic mark? And I want to illustrate it like, I want to illustrate it in this way. When I was in high school, I was, I, I was a part of this adventure and leadership development camp that would meet in the summers. And one particular part of this camp in one particular year, there was a, a team exercise where we had to um, climb up a tower that was about 40 or 50 feet up in the air. And then there was one tower that was connected with another tower by a tightrope. And there was a cable that ran above it that you would hook your carabiner in and you, this cable would attach you to the cable or this carabiner would attach you to the cable through a climbing rope that attached to your harness. And the team exercise was to get each person from one part of the tower to the other, one tower to the other tower by walking this tightrope. And you had nothing to hold on to. And it was just this rope across, okay? And it's 40 and 50 feet up in the air. And if you've ever been in any situation like that, it doesn't matter that you're tied to a cable. When you start looking down, you're terrified and you don't think that there's any way that cable will work. And so it's just a terrifying thing. And so you're trying, you're, but the goal is to get everyone across. And I remember I was probably the fourth or fifth person to, to attempt to go, not attempt, to go across. And there were other people that had gone before me. Some had made it and then others had taken a step out on that rope and you just start shaking and they have to step back and they say, I can't make it. And so I got to the rope and I did the same thing. I started just shaking and the rope shaking, but I knew that I had to get to the other side, to be with those people that had made it over there. Now, it was only about a 20-foot span, okay? So I want you to picture this. It was only about a 20-foot span. There were about four people that had already made it. There were probably six or seven that were still with me that I could touch and be with right there. I could communicate, and I could talk to the people over there. And so, in a sense, I could fellowship with them. 
However, I knew that I was supposed to be over there with them in a truer and in a fuller sense. And to get there, I had to go by way of this tightrope. There was no other way. There was no other way to get there. I couldn't lean into them. I couldn't figure out how to fly. I had to use the way of the tightrope to get there. Now, I wanted to use that illustration to say that fellowship in the truest sense of the word, and this is why it's an apostolic mark, fellowship in the truest sense of the word is that you're connected with people only through God. The connection with God has to come first. Just as I could not get to, I could not be in the presence of those people without going through that tightrope, we cannot truly experience the presence of others and fellowship the way God intends until we go through fellowship with Him. And this is why it's an apostolic mark. Because fellowship that started on the day of Pentecost must start with fellowship with the Lord. It must start with Him and then it intentionally and undeniably leads to fellowship in its real sense, with others. And so the apostles, these early followers of Christ, were first marked with fellowship with God, then marked with fellowship with others. This is how this fellowship took place. So I want to look at a couple of other places that show the fellowship of believers and how it was undeniably an apostolic mark of the true church. First, this is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 where the Apostle John says, that which we have seen and heard, so the gospel of Christ that, they, that John witnessed, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So here's John telling his readers, proclaiming the gospel to him and saying, I'm not just calling you to believe. I'm not just calling you to repent. And John clearly talks about faith and repentance and the necessity of that. But he is proclaiming the gospel in hopes that those listening will have fellowship with them, will be united to them, which will also mean fellowship with the Father and the Son. And so, therefore, he is calling them to unite to share in Christ with them. Also in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So how does the church, um, how does the church love one another, love the world, and then be a part of good deeds? He says in verse 25, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, in other words, the apostles, the early followers of Christ, understood and they wanted their listeners and readers to understand that this is not a faith that happens by, your, by yourself. This is not a faith that is sustained by yourself. This is not something that happens while you're alone. But this is something that, it, this is a collective faith. This is a faith that unites us with other people as it unites us with our Creator. Secondly, I want us to see that Christian fellowship is a grace 
and a means of grace. It's a grace because Christian fellowship is a gift of God that is unearned and unmerited. You don't have to work to have true Christian fellowship. You don't have, in other, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to merit it. You, don't, you shouldn't have to pay your dues or prove yourself or accomplish a certain amount of spiritual tasks to get you into a certain level of fellowship where now you're, you're truly fellowshipping with one another because you have done this and this and that. This is an unmerited, an unearned gift from God. And it is intended, it is intended to be supernatural and spiritual. And so that's why the word fellowship was born on the day of Pentecost because it's a supernatural thing. It's a spiritual thing. And I hope, listen, I hope this message is something that we will begin to perhaps understand and consider in a new way. And I want us to consider other clubs. I want us to consider other types of organizations or societies that exist out there today, or even things that you have been a part of, things that you may be a part of now that you joined because you have met the qualifications or because, because that, the people in that club share some of the same interests that you have. So, And these aren't necessarily bad things. But if you're part of a historical society, it's because you... Uh, enjoy history and you know that the other people that are in that society enjoy history too and so you can come and you can research history together and you can talk about history and you know that everybody else uh, will value that as well if you are a part of something like Kiwanis Club it's because you're a business person who wants to better the community and other people share that very thing fraternities and sororities, or whatever it may be. They're designed to gather people together that are alike, and they function because they're made up of members that should naturally connect with one another. So I want us to think about those things. Now, the sad thing is is that the church can end up functioning in a very similar fashion, but it should nev- it was ne- it's never intended to, and it should never be made up in that way. The church should primarily be a spiritual work. It should primarily be a work wherein God has united people by His Spirit and they share Him in common while everything else can be different. So in other words, the church should share the differences while sharing God and having God in common. And so everything should be shared. Race. Gender, job, age, hobbies, backgrounds, incomes, political views, ideas about the world, and we could go on and on. So understand that the early church was not a fraternity of people that could just naturally fellowship together. God did not gather people that, were nat- that naturally had the same backgrounds and could naturally understand one another or could finish each other's sentences, or that like the same things. When we're told that the early church had all things in common, it didn't mean that they all liked Parcheesi or tennis. It meant that they were different, but they shared the Lord, which brought their differences together 
And they were able to serve Christ and love Him in that way. They shared their differences. They shared their different races and ideals. But they had the gospel in common. And because of that, they were united and they considered all believers equal and worthy of fellowship. The original Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia, which you may have heard, which literally means to hold something in common. And so when we see that they held all things in common, what that meant is is that they had koinonia, fellowship. So what did they hold in common? Well, we've already mentioned they held the gospel in common. But it, and the gospel completely tied them together. So how did that work? How were they so tied together? And we have to understand that it was a, a spiritual thing. And that is what fellowship is in the truest sense of the word. It's a spiritual thing. So it's a grace. It's a gift of God given to His people. And then it's also a means of grace. And so what I mean by that is that it's a gracious gift of God and it's an avenue to, for God to ex, extend grace to you and to me. And so therefore, because of our fellowship in Christ, I'm loved by you. I feel the love of God through you. It means that I receive counsel from you. And so when I, if I need to hear the truth of God, I hear it through you. And I'm helped by you. And so I know God's provision through you. And this happens in such a way that if there's not true Christian fellowship, then what that is saying is, is that there is an aspect of God's love which I will not know. When fellowship in the truest sense of the word is not present, then there is an aspect of God's love that I will not know. When fellowship in the truest sense of the, lo- of the word is absent, then it means that there is wisdom and counsel that I will not know, that will not come into my life. And when fellowship is missing, when in the truest sense of the word is absent, then it means that there are blessings and provisions from God that I will not know because it is a pathway that He works through. It's a means of grace. Neil described it this morning as a conduit of God's grace. So, give thanks for your fellowship. It's a gift. And also utilize it because it's how God works. And remember, as author of Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together, which is a habit of some, because what that is saying is is that they are neglecting God's grace. They're neglecting an avenue of God's grace. When we're not meeting together and when we're not fellowshipping together, and this is not just referring to Sunday mornings, when we're not meeting together, It's not as if God will bypass other people and send a direct bolt of His provision and love and grace to you. It means that you will miss an aspect of it. You will not know Him in a certain way. You'll not experience Him in a certain way. And so utilize the grace that God has provided through His people. Third, Christian fellowship must be selflessly, selflessly pursued. And the reason that this is so is because in its truest form, as already mentioned, it's spiritual. And when it is in its truest form, in in understanding the work of the Spirit, which Romans 8 talks to us about, 
when it's in its truest form and when it is a work of the Spirit, when it's spiritual and supernatural, our flesh, consider what our flesh will do with true Christian fellowship. It will rebel against it. And the reason that that is is because true Christian fellowship is not designed, it's not intended to satisfy the, de- the desires of the flesh. And so it's a means of grace, but that does not mean that it is a means in which God will give you everything that you want or need through it. And thus, in its truest form, please understand, we will walk away from it. We will not pursue it. We will not move towards it, but instead we will pull away from it. We will be fine to remain individuals or to seek relationships with those that will meet our needs or with those that we feel like will understand us or with those that share in some of the same interests. Do you identify with that? And please hear me. This is a message that as I'm looking at this, This is piercing my heart because what I'm seeing is is that I run towards fellowship that's not in its truest sense. And when fellowship is there in its real form that came on the day of Pentecost, I walk away from it. I turn from it because I don't want to share everything that is different from me naturally. I don't want to share in the differences that are in the body of Christ. And so, please understand, as this pierces my heart, my own heart, I'm going to ask, who are we seeking out? Who are we intentionally coming together with? Please listen. Who are we intentionally coming together with? Who are we seeking to spend time, spend our time together with? Because Christian fellowship is more than just gathering and spending time together. So are you looking to gather with people who share your background, who share a similar type of income, or who share a similar type of lifestyle? Because, and I mentioned, it's more than just gathering and spending time together. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more. And for it to be a clear mark of the gospel, it has to be more. And therefore, we must selflessly pursue it. Selflessly pursuing those that God has selflessly pursued and those that God is selflessly pursuing. Now, here's what Jesus prayed. So we're closing. Here's what Jesus prayed in John 17, verses 20 through 21. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And here's why this is so clearly seen in the apostolic church. Because they understood that they were selflessly pursued by Jesus. They understood the apostles and the early followers of Christ were completely transformed because they grasped the fact 
that Christ willingly gave up everything, all that he had. He sacrificed it all to come, pursue them, and become like them, to share in their humanity, and even place himself in a lower position to them, than them to the point of death so that, so can we see, Christ willingly gives up all that he has to come and share in our humanity, making himself lower than us to the point of death so that we would be made like him, so that we would be co-heirs with him, so that we would share in his glory. He gave up his glory to share in our unglorious humanity so that we could share in his glory, that we could share in his love and that we could know the love of the Father. This is what the apostles knew. This is how they had all things in common with others. Because, and this is, how they, this is why they selflessly pursued it, because they understood that Jesus selflessly pursued them. So is that in your heart and your mind? Is that what drives your fellowship with other people? Is your fellowship with other people driven by selfishness? Or is it driven by selflessness? That understanding that Christ has selflessly pursued fellowship with you by taking on your sin, sharing in your worthiness, unworthiness of sin, and then exchanging it for His righteousness so that we could share in His blessings, so that we could share in His holiness, so that we could share in God's approval of us, so that God would look at us and say, You are my beloved. That, that is a complete denial of self from Christ so that you may have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. That's the gospel. And that's why we are called as the church that has united in fellowship with the apostolic church. That is why we are called to share in that mark because of the selfless pursuit that Christ had for you.